Holidays and celebrations of any stripe are always great occasions to eat. Making food for any particular celebration is a good way to put smiles on faces, learn new skills, and increase your kitchen confidence. St. Patrick's Day allows at least four skills to shine. Brining, poaching, mixing, and baking. Go find some friends and make some smiles. And it is okay to pass on the green beer. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 77. Hello and welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Surf over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, to find all the previous show's links. From that page, you can click the support link and find my page for all the various podcatchers playing the Culinary Libertarian podcast, as well as my affiliate banners for the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom and McClanahan Academy. Both programs offer history courses on the Constitution and Founders history, as well as more on-the-go content you can consume in your car, on the way to or from work, or in the kitchen making dinner. You can also support the show with a rating and a review in any of those podcasts if you enjoy a tasty beverage in the morning or at night, a coffee cup from Cranky Without Coffee might be just the ticket. Click the banner to see the selection, which has increased, and I add to it frequently, of cute and adorable mugs to sassy and bold or political and nasty. There are even some fun movie quotes. The Cranky Without Coffee banner is also on the support page. And since it's coming up, shop for Mother's Day mugs there as well. I love, as in savor, with deliberate delight, an excellent corned beef. The briny flavor is part of it, but also the beefiness. The brisket is beefier than most other cuts, and when well and properly brined, the shimmer of the meat when it's sliced and the texture of the meat creates great anticipation. Sometimes when the light hits the meat just right, a rainbow glistens across the surface. Now, I am alone in my house as a fan of corned beef for dinner. Corned beef hash is better appreciated, so not all is lost. But cabbage? Nope. Brussels sprouts for one more of us is fine, but cabbage is a firm, unyielding no. St. Patrick's Day offers this great dish opportunity, but it also presents a chance to work on some cooking and food skills. While I do love the history and learning about it, this show is food skills first, and if there's a choice, and there is, today we get both. Where in the heck is the corn? The corn in corned beef refers to the rock salt that was used as a preservative on meats. Now, that going back many hundreds of years in history, 
Here, uh, the meat would be beef. A deep dive into this history is not the purpose here, but people have been preserving meat with salt for thousands of years. According to the website kitchenproject.com, the term corned beef has been in the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, since the year 888. Salt draws out the water and changes the composition of the meat, and this water retraction helps control pathogens, which is good, and extends the life of the meat. And if you don't have refrigeration, that's also good. Corned beef today, in the parlance of our times, is brined, which is cooking skill number one. A brine is, at its most simple, salt dissolved into water. Some brines add sugar, which don't really serve to make the meat sweet, but it does help firm up the texture of the meat and also goes a long way to managing pathogens and bacteria, which we don't want in our food. Corned beef has become quite an item and industry for grocery stores, especially these weeks. In most grocery store meat cases, you can find pre-brined portions of brisket with a spice packet for you to poach. Cooking skill number two for your dinner. Now, this is a place where if you're not going to do it on the stovetop in a pot, a crock pot is a spectacular kitchen tool addition for long simmering, just like a corned beef. Now, as of today, the publication of this episode, St. Patrick's Day, is about a week away. Plenty of time to find a brisket, brine it yourself, and be ready for St. Patrick's Day dinner. Some quick kitchen math. Briskets are usually trimmed pretty well when you get them either at the butcher shop or your grocery store meat counter. Between the bits you can't use, I plan on about a 20% loss in yield. That's if I'm not trimming too much of my own extra fat off. And that's probably a bit high, but no one ever complained about getting more to eat. So if I'm starting with 16 ounces of beef, at that 20% loss of yield, I'll lose just over 3 ounces in the cooking process. What is left, the eating part, is about 13 ounces. That's enough for two people, probably, but overlooks the delight of corned beef hash and sandwiches and other ancillary uses. You know you, depending on what else you want to eat, buy on the excess side for all those yummy other dishes. Briskets can be big, they come off the cow big, but most grocery stores don't sell the whole thing. That's too much. One consideration is the calendar. Four to five pounds of brisket will need a good 10 days or so in brine to be properly brined. If you find smaller pieces, that brining time can be reduced to be ready for St. Patrick's Day dinner. I'll put the recipes for today's episode on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 77. That'll link to a blog post where most of this uh, content will live, as well as printable recipes. If you find yourself in a pinch because you found this episode too near your planned dinner date, the pre-brined packages of brisket from the store are fine. 
They come with a little spice packet, which actually I discard and I use my own, but that's me. These spice packets are okay, but I prefer more control over what flavors I add. So when the brisket is cooked, and we're doing that by poaching, poaching is a, a temperature range where poaching is 100, poaching is 168 to 180 degrees Fahrenheit, simmering is 180 to 200 degrees Fahrenheit, and boiling is higher than that at, um, sea level. Up here in the mountains, that changes a little bit because, well, atmospheric pressure and all kinds of weird things. But anyway. Once the brisket is cooked, which means fork tender, by the way, remove it from the poaching liquid, kind of carefully, don't let it fall back in and splash you, and let it rest on a roasting pan or something that has edges for at least 10 minutes. A lot of the liquid is going to come out, and it's better that it comes out onto a thing that can hold it, as opposed to a plate where it's going to just make a big mess. The sides to this delightful dinner are cabbages and potatoes. On one website, I found two sources cited which directly contradict each other about the authenticity of corned beef, cabbage, and potatoes as Irish or not. That's not soon going to be settled, but I see no reason to exclude the Irish from having made these dishes even if in disparate forms. As cooking goes, poaching meat is hardly anyone's own. The history of the Irish and the potato is rather well known. All that is to say, if it is authenticity you seek, rest well knowing that in Ireland surely someone somewhere eats corned beef and cabbage and potatoes. I prefer the red-skinned, less starchy potatoes simply for how they hold up when cooked. They keep their shape a little bit better than the starchy potatoes. And that's, that's a value to me. <laughs> Aesthetics. Uh, I do enjoy rather large wedges of cabbage, but it's your house. Do as you like. Now, the, the timing of all this, while the meat, you can do a couple of things. And this is, um, I sort of like my potatoes and cabbage uh, in the kitchen. We say hammered. That means <laughs> cooked to smithereens. Um, not everyone cares for that, and that's okay. But I do like them cooked in the same liquid where the corned beef is cooked because all of that flavor goes into all the food. So, yes, it does become sort of monotone in flavor, but you're only doing this once a year. You're certainly welcome to do that on the side. Um, but I think the cabbage and the potatoes and the corn beef broth is a yummy addition. Um, obviously, you're cooking the meat longest. So put the potatoes and the cabbages in near the end of cooking, and the meat can even still be out of the broth while the vegetables and uh, you can put carrots in there or celery. It's your house. Go nuts. Put fennel. Uh, while the stuff is cooking and the meat's resting, everyone's happy. The next item for building our kitchen skills is the Irish soda bread. Before I talk about that, I want to talk to you about a new product from a new affiliate, Broths from Brodo Broths. I'm a big fan of Make Your Own, but sometimes in our busy lives, that's just not always possible. Now, instead of settling for grocery store selections, you can buy stocks as good as I would make them with my affiliate Brodo. Brodo Broths are chef-made with organic ingredients and nothing that doesn't belong in a broth. 
Broths are an important part of the keto or paleo diet, and broader broths are also perfect for those who follow the Whole30 diet. Click over to Brodo with my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash broth, to see the plan options, which include a one-time order, or choose the two- or four-week subscriptions. Pick from chicken, beef, hearty broth, or their 100% vegan broth. Chef owner Marco Canora has a restaurant in New York and has appeared on Top Chef and Shops and The Next Iron Chef, so you know this guy can cook. Get a PDF of some of my soup recipes to get you started if you want a boost. Subscribe to Broda with either delivery option, two-week or four-week. Email me your receipt, and I'll send you the PDF. See the show notes page for more details. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash brodo to learn about your next best broth option after your own. Culinarylibertarian.com slash broth. Now let's get back into the show. Irish soda bread has an interesting history for bakers and the generally curious as well. I'll add some links to the show notes page for you to read a little bit more information. In addition to a curious provenance, there is a wide diversity in recipe ingredients. Many recipes and posts make the point that Irish soda bread is made from soft wheat flour, not hard wheat flour. Yeast is difficult to obtain, or at least it was, and even at that, soft wheat flours are not the first best choice for yeast doughs. I know this is getting a little bit bakery nerdy, but... Bread soda, or baking soda as it was called later, was the preferred leavening for Irish soda breads, also can be into now the, the group called quick breads. This name suggests there's something about the baking time, but really it refers to the mixing and shaping and baking aspect versus the mix and ferment and degas and ferment and shape and proof and bake. In that description, the answer of why it's called quick bread seems plain enough. That term quick breads is rather new, perhaps as late as the 18th century here in the U.S. The key difference was the great increase in yeast leavened breads in the early 1900s, so some distinction had to be made. But first a moment about that provenance. Many foods have simultaneous originations, that is, more than one culture may have combined specific ingredients in a particular way. I think pasta is the chief example of that. It's, of course, Italians are known for pasta. Someone said, well, but the Chinese have been doing it. Well, it's quite possible anybody with flour and water made pasta. Nobody owns pasta. The sodabread.info website notes that the Quote, earliest reference to using soda ash in baking breads seems to be credited to American Indians using it to leaven their breads. Pearl ash was used prior to 1800 to make flat cakes on hot rocks by combining it with an acidic ingredient in the dough, end quote. The state of poverty in Ireland may well have hurried along their own creation of soda bread. That same site notes the earlier recipes found in Ireland are from 1836. The other curious ingredients which appear with inconsistency is fat. Some soda breads are as 
are basically mixed like a big biscuit. Flour, baking soda, salt, salad at room temperature fat, and buttermilk. Uh, the more conservative are flour, soda, salt, and buttermilk. Uh, there may be some uh, recipes now which add either raisins or caraway seeds or a combination of both. Um, and some of them now have sugar, may have egg, uh, may have butter or lard or something else. Given the conditions of near poverty, excluding eggs and sugar and fat seems reasonable, leaving just the buttermilk or, in some cases, curdled milk, and flour, salt, and soda. Modern cooks egg wash or milk wash the bread for a golden brown color and may sprinkle sugar on top. Uh, I would expect a proper four-ingredient soda bread would omit these steps. As to the aesthetics, there is a traditional cutting or, uh, or pressing, taking a um, like a stick or a dowel, pressing into the top of the bread an X or a cross. Of course, this may reference Christ, but some have suggested it is also for ease of portioning or to ensure a more even bake, or maybe some part of all three. As a baked good, soda bread is a delight as soon as it is cool enough to cut or to break apart. Since the classic version has no butter or added fat or added fat or eggs, the quality goes down pretty rapidly. However, it is excellent as toast the next morning with corned beef hash. On to breakfast. Back on the eggs episode, culinarylibertarian.com slash 75, I've talked about my great love for corned beef hash with poached eggs. Nearly everyone who eats corned beef hash probably eats the commercially canned version. And it's not a terrible thing as such, but when it's made at home, there is an unmet expectation between what you see in your head and what you see on the plate. Frankly, I'm not entirely certain I know how, and I'm not entirely certain I want to know how, the commercial version ends up as it is. Off the top of my head, such a version might be possible if all the ingredients were ground together. That's a step I just don't want to take, and I'm not interested in trying. At this house, a sharp knife is all I need to get the ingredients cut to the shape I want. Now, I like the goo that is in the commercial hash. I like that that smooth sort of... It's not really sauce, but kind of sauce-like texture. But I preferred homemade as much as is possible. The advantage of corned beef hash after St. Patrick's Day is the leftover potatoes. You did make sure to have leftover potatoes, right? Are there to help. Most recipes you'll find in books or online instruct to cut the meat into half-inch cubes. Well, that works, but it never comes together as, 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 a, as you expect. It never comes together as I prefer. A smaller cut of meat and potatoes, and why not add some cabbage as well, helps the hash hold together a bit more and also lets it build that crust. I find that part just wonderful. Uh, in our homemade version, the eggs on top, poached soft for me, do some of the work for holding everything together. Pan-fried, side-side-up, runny, you can do over easy, is a great way to let the yolks also do some of that work of holding all that stuff together. 
If you've got leftover soda bread, some sliced soda bread, nicely toasted, lots of butter, then the hash and the eggs on top of that. <laughs> oh, man. You know, the only thing you need is a really strong cup of coffee, and that's breakfast or lunch or dinner. All right, folks, that's going to do it. The show notes page will have the links I mentioned, and it looks like there's going to be a few. Among them, of course, will be the blog post with the recipes for corned beef hash and corned beef and Irish soda bread. And if you want the details about the soups PDF, there will be a link for that information there, too. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher, and join us in the Eating Liberty Facebook group linked on the podcast's page. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.